0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the Old Testament. If you're listening for the first time or you have been listening very long, uh, just so you know, Wednesday is our uh, Bible study where we go through the Old Testament. And then Sundays are the day where we go through the uh, New Testament. And we go systematically. You know, we're in the book of Acts on Sunday. We're almost done. And then we're just going to keep going. You know, next book is Romans and we're going to get all the way to Re- uh, Revelation. And then we're going to pick up in the Gospels and uh we've we've already done the gospel of uh matthew so when we're done with revelation we're going to go to mark and then when we're done with mark we're going to go to acts and we're just going to keep on going rinse and repeat rinse and repeat when i say rinse it's to rinse our bodies rinse our flesh of this carnal nature and in the old testament genesis all the way to malachi and then when malachi is done then we're going to go back to genesis and you know old testament new testament so it's so beautiful because in the course of a week we have old testament new testament and the whole time, we learn the full counsel of the Word of God. The old interpreting new, new interpreting old, precept upon precept, line upon line. And that's how we grow in Christ, the knowledge of Christ. And not just the knowledge, because remember, those who know, know in part. That's from First uh, 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 Corinthians 13. Love is the greatest gift, but those who know, know in part. It's, to apply. it's not just for the sake of knowledge. You know, it's uh, 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 and like, you know, you're going to be on Jeopardy. It's nothing like that. You know, you have to answer this question. The question comes up, you have to hit the buzzer and say, you know, whatever, and answer. It's not knowledge like that. It's to take the Word of God and apply it to our lives. Me, you, together, and that's the ecclesia, koinonia, the body of Christ being one. And it's so beautiful when we study the Old Testament. Some passages are hard. Some passages are very, very difficult. We've already talked about a lot of sexual things in the Old Testament, sexual things in the New Testament. And it's so cool because these are things that the Lord wants us to know and understand. To understand His uh, concept of things, His ways of thinking, His likes, His dislikes. And then you and me, we have a choice to make. Lord, do I align my heart with yours or do I go my own way and apply my own whatever you know my prayer for all of us, myself included is that we're the ones that yield to him for every single day of our lives you know until you're dead you' be it's not just like a one year gig it's not a five year gig it's for the rest of your life because this life we're not we're just passing through that's it we're just passing through we don't belong here. And it's so beautiful. So let's let's pick up in chapter twenty three, uh, chapter twenty one, <laughs> chapter twenty one of the book of Leviticus. This is hardcore law. And I would say that you know, there's books of the law like Exodus. We we studied the law in Exodus, Leviticus. We're gonna touch on it in Numbers and Deuteronomy. But when you think of Leviticus, this is like whoa, this is some hardcore stuff. And what I find so interesting and also beautiful is look at. Look at all the, how loaded it's been thus far from Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to where we're at, and look how deep and how loaded this is. Not not to study the law, but, I mean, we're studying the law, but I meant uh, um, to understand the character of our Lord deeper and deeper and deeper. And you know what's so cool is, you know, we have this knowledge and we're going to understand. I shouldn't say it's so cool, but I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's but it's beautiful. It's also sad. You're going to see people in, in the Bible make mistakes. Titans make mistakes and stumble. In some cases, fall hard. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And then you look up. You take your eyes off the Bible. And you're in the world. And you know, you're going to work. You're going to the store. You're doing whatever. Family, friends. You're going to see people making the same mistakes. And then you're going to know why God does what He does in people's lives. Sometimes you're going to know why God does what He does in your life. And then when you understand His ways, you say in your heart, Wow, Lord, I should have listened to you. And, you know, when you apply His word in your life, He fixes it. I can't, exp- it sounds so cheesy to say He fixes it. And I don't mean cheesy, disrespectful to the Lord. I say cheesy because it's like, Is it really that easy? Yes, it really is that easy. It's supernatural. You apply these teachings in your life, these precepts, holy precepts, not man-made. These are holy. It's entirely supernatural. You apply his teachings in your life. You reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead, and supernaturally, something happens. He fixes. He fixes everything. And then, you know, it's not like when he's done with you because he'll he'll keep growing you. But when you apply these things, then you'll be able to help others because you've taken the plank out of your own eye. Then you're able to counsel others when they say, hey, I have a problem. Hey, I have these issues. Hey, I have, you know, whatever's going on. And it's so beautiful. That's called ministry. You know, and you wait on the Lord because the Lord will tap on your heart and say, okay, you know, now I want to use you. You know, I've poured into you. Now it's time to pour out from you. Because you're not full of yourself. You're full of the Lord. You're new wineskin holding new wine. And you're at the brim. It's almost ready to be poured out. And the Lord will tap on your heart and say, Okay, now I want to use you to go over here. Now it's time for you to pour out. That's in His timing. And that's how He works. Old Testament, New Testament. I have to say in Leviticus 21... This is hardcore, hardcore, hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers, deacons, ministry leaders. If that's you, pay attention. Pay attention. This is hardcore. Not to not to elevate you, not to puff you up, but to have this understanding of God's perspective on leadership. It's very important. Now, if it's not you. If you're, you know, you hear me say sometimes if you're a pulpit Christian or a, a a pew Christian, when I say pulpit Christian, that encompasses ministry leaders, Bible teachers, elders, pastors. But when I say pew Christian, don't be discouraged like, oh man, you know, I'm not in the pew. The Bible teaches, let not many of you be teachers. He's, he does it for a reason. People don't listen to the Bible. We have teachers everywhere, you know, so-called teachers. Do they teach sound doctrine? You know, do they teach, uh, it's okay to go grave soaking? Do they teach you about holy laughter? You know, you hear me talk about grave soaking a lot because there's this new thing. It seems like every 10 years, there's always something, maybe every five years, there's always something new creeping into the church. These are things that Paul warns us about. You know, that among the, when he has his Miletus meeting with the elders, you know, certain things will creep up. You know, wolves will come from the outside in and wolves will, you, you'll turn into a wolf. He says that to the elders, to leadership. That's from our, listen to our study in Acts 20. It's a hardcore, hardcore message. And so it's, it's crazy to, when you hear me say like, you know, pew Christian, don't be discouraged. It's not to say, oh, this isn't for you. It's not to say anything like that because you have no idea how the Lord is going to use you. Maybe you're a pew Christian today. And then the Lord wants to use you. He'll tap on your heart and say, hey, I want you to teach the Bible i want you to teach the bible to little kids i want you to teach the bible to uh uh teenagers i want you to teach the bible to women i want you to teach the bible to a group of guys to young teenager teenage boys you know teenage girls you know i, I was you know if you're female you know teach to you know the teenage girls whatever females but you know if you're an adult like a male you know teach to you know a, a men's group a little teenage men's group you know maybe the teenagers the old men So that the, you know, it's so beautiful when you see these things. That's ministry. The older, the wisdom. You know, people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. And they can, you know, uh, uh, minister to these young kids. And it's so beautiful when you see it happen. But, you know, I have to say this. And no disrespect to the Lord because it's his, His church. You see, there's a disconnect. A lot of people go out into crazy town. You know, they start to teach about grave soaking. That's crazy. Big mainline denominations, mainline churches, huge, very popular, global. Grave soaking? That's garbage. And I say that because I know the Bible. Holy laughter? Pensacola? That's some crazy stuff. But remember what the Bible teaches? Judgment comes first in the house of God. Judgment comes first in the house of God. that's what Brother Peter writes to us. And so, you know, don't be discouraged if you're a pure Christian because you have no idea how the Lord is going to use you. You know, I was a pure Christian too. Now look. (laughs) So let's see what happens here. In uh, Leviticus chapter 21 verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the priests. And and the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests. So, you remember, hardcore message for leadership. The sons of Aaron. And say to them, None shall defile himself. Notice, defile himself. Self-inflicted. Self-inflicted. You know, a lot of times when we think about defilement, sometimes defilement is happens through others. And it's terribly sad when you see that. You know, there's this you know victim mentality that's going through the you know a lot of millennials. I don't know how it happened. I don't know when it happened, how it happened. I mean I call it demonic, I know how it happened. It's satanic, demonic in nature, but there's this victim mentality it's almost it's like victimhood has become cool, you know it's like, oh you know uh, I'm you know of this ethnic background, poor me, or oh, i'm you know I'm like this, I'm this of this socioeconomic background, poor me, or you know I'm whatever, poor me it's become cool. It's crazy. It's millennial generation. It's like, what in the world is happening here? I call it demonic. And I make a strong case about it. Uh, some strong argument for uh, the demonic nature. But then at the same time, there are real victims. Real victims. You know, people who have been abused. Young kids who have been abused. You know, young uh, teenagers who have been abused and molested. And they become adults. It's like man, you know, they don't they, they don't play the victim card, they are the victim. I mean, have you ever talked to an adult that's been victimized as a child? It's sad. it'll kill you, it'll break your heart. And you know what just what blows me away so much, you know that's when the like, uh, that's not a self-inflicted wound. You know, they they they're in that situation on account of another. And what's very difficult is to minister to these people when they've been exposed to false doctrines. Because, you know, they say, oh, you know what, this was, this was predestined to happen. This was predestined to happen, you know, God made this happen. That's you Now, if you're Reformed or Calvinistic in nature, such, such doctrine teaches that. You know, you talk to somebody who's been molested as a kid, and now the guy's 30 years old. And they've been exposed to Calvinism. So this was predestined to happen. God made this happen. And I don't know how, but it's for His glory. And a lot of times these people, they turn their back on the Lord because of what they've been taught about the Lord. And suicides, you know, you can read about the suicides that happen because they're raised up in Reformed theology. Something terrible happens to them. And they say, well, I guess I'm not of the elect. So they go and kill themselves, blow their brains out. I'm not of the elect anyway, so here, I'll just, you know, bite the bullet. Literally, bite the bullet. Terrible. Now, if you're Reformed or Calvinistic, I don't hate you. I'm not a fan of John Calvin. (laughs) You say, what do you mean? Read about Geneva. Read what happened in Geneva. Read the history books. Read his writings. Institutes of the Christian Religion. You get to know your Bible and then read it so you can, you know... If you don't know your Bible, and then you start reading all this crazy stuff, then you're gonna be like, "Wow, maybe this is true." No, know your Bible first, and when you know your Bible, then go out and read these things, so you can understand, so you can help people to understand. Wow, wow, this is wrong. This is crazy town. Like me, when I watch TBN Tricking Believers nightly, I don't watch it for you know for uh, uh, edification. I watch it because that's you know you hear about the grave soaking. You see these people, it's like, wow, this is crazy. You have to know the truth in order to perceive the lie. And so, you know, study your Bible, know your Bible. And when you're equipped with the Word, then go out and understand. It's not for the sake of knowledge. It's so that when people are exposed to certain things, they have these questions. Well, you know what? You know, I was molested as a kid. I want to blow my brains out because God predestined that to happen. God made this happen. It's like, no, you're a victim, my friend. You're a victim of this guy's choices. You're a victim of this lady's choices. You're a victim of this pastor's choices, this elder's choices. It's not an elder who's not a pastor. They're wolves. You know, you hear about kids being molested in church. I have to be very careful because it makes me very angry. And, I, I'm, you know, anger is one of my uh, touchy subjects for me. That's one of my battles. The same way you have battles. But that's one of my touchy subjects. I have to be very careful walking on eggshells when it comes to anger. But when I hear about an elder who molested a little child, or a pastor who molested or raped a girl, I don't think good thoughts. Well, you know, for the pastor, for the so-called pastor, for the wolf, I don't think good thoughts. And so it blows me away here. It says here in verse 1, None shall defile himself self-inflicted for the dead among his people now a lot of times you talk to mockers and what happens they say wow you know god is heartless you know he, he the, you know can't we mourn are we not to mourn for our dead relatives are we not to mourn for you know our dead friends you know is in in accordance with the law are we not to do that well, it's such a crazy argument it's unbiblical it's unfounded indeed god is love You have to understand what's happening here. These are priests that he's speaking to. Priests, this is the the vessels that he uses for Israel to be right with the Lord. I mean, you think of the sin. You hear me say that, you know, there's a lot of blood. I've said that quite a bit. A lot of blood. You read the Old Testament, a lot of blood, a lot of blood. The blood of sheep, lambs, turtle doves, ox, all these different animals a lot of blood. What does that tell you? There's a lot of sin. A lot of sin. But then, at the same time, the people that are tasked with getting people right to the Lord, the priests, the priests who are tasked with getting Israel right with the Lord, these are the ones we're talking about. Those people. The religious leaders. The priests. That's why I say this is a hardcore message for Church leadership. None shall defile himself for the dead among his people. Now, there are aspects of death which are sad. I mean, naturally so. You know, you have a friend who dies. It's kind of a bummer. I mean, I shouldn't say it so loosely. I mean, I, I say it loosely because in Christ, it's kind of, it's it's sad because you're not going to see that person for a while. But it's also beautiful because in Christ, you know where that guy is. You know where that gal is. You almost get jealous, like, man, you know, Lord, when is it my time? Yeah, I want to go next. Me next. That's in Christ. Only the Christian can look forward to death because it's, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what's so beautiful is that, you know, we have paradise to look forward to. But there are still certain aspects of death which are sad, you know, the mourning. You know, to be sad and to mourn for a lost loved one or, you know, a dead loved one. And a lot of times the mockers will say, you see, God is heartless. He doesn't want us to mourn. But, you know, that's nothing could be further from the truth. You can take this as very, very, very early teachings on the resurrection. Very, very early teachings on the resurrection. You say, wow, what do you mean? Well, turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 20. To Luke chapter 20 and i don't have my tabs so you're gonna hear me flip luke chapter 20 verse 37 this is red letters our lord himself is saying that I mean, black letters are you know the words of our lord too because you know the word became flesh but i, I make a special emphasis of the red letters Verse 37 here in Luke 20. But even Moses showed in the burning bush bush passage that the dead are raised. Speaking of the resurrection. You know, don't forget that you and me, when we're in Christ, you and me will be resurrected. There's going to be a resurrection of the church. It's called the rapture. The resurrection of the church. Jesus Christ, you see in in Acts uh, uh, Acts 1 when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. What's told to us in 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits of the resurrection. What does that mean? If he's the first fruits, what does that mean for you and for me in Christ? That, you know, it's going to come for us too. It's going to come for us too. We might be dead. You know, if the Lord tarries, you know, the dead will rise first. The living will by no means precede the dead. That's the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the church. But then, at the same time, you know, the Lord teaches us about the signs of the times. That's why it's like you see what's happening globally, geopolitically, culturally, militarily, you know, the natural realm. You see, all these things, it's like the convergence of the prophecies of the end times. That's why it's not a time to slumber, be awake. And so, the Lord is saying here that the dead are, you know, even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham. Notice it wasn't past tense. He didn't say that this is the God that, you know, Abraham believed in. You know, Abraham, he says the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. All these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when Moses said this, they're gone. They've they they they've had their time among the living. I meant not among the living, but they, they had their time walking the earth but look what happens here the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob remember the lord says i am who i am when moses says who do i tell the people sent me he says i am who i am he didn't say i was who i was i'm going to be who i'm going to be no i am who i am it's so beautiful because you know a lot of times people don't think look what our lord is saying here when when moses said the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob our lord is saying that by saying that moses showed that the dead are raised moses moses was teaching the resurrection wow that's hardcore he says in verse 38 for he is not the god for he is not the god of the dead but of the living for all live to him that's why you start to understand these things like wait a second in the old testament it seems like God, like what we're looking at in Leviticus, it seems like God is saying, you know, I have no, uh, uh, don't, don't pay no respects to the dead or, you know, don't mourn. Nothing could be further from the truth, but in Christ, to understand that, wait a second, there is no death. Oh, death, where is your sting? You see, that's that's eternal life. If you're a, not, not a believer and you're listening to these words and you're like, wow, I never heard it that way. Or, you know, maybe you feel something in your heart, something's brewing inside of you. Like, man, I want to believe, but wow, you know, I like my crack. I want to believe, but I like my pornography. Let me tell you something. God loves you. And He wants me to tell you that He loves you. And He also wants me to tell you to come to Him. You need to go to Him. You need to repent, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He loves you. Come out of her, my people. Your lifestyle, whatever it is, come out of that and receive Jesus Christ and learn. Learn and understand that, you know what, we're just passing through. It's so beautiful when you think about eternity. Because, you know, as this world fades, it just, you know, it makes scripture ring even louder. And this world is indeed fading. So we go back to this passage in Leviticus 21, and what do we see here? It's like, wow, does that mean that, you know, if a priest can't, you know, be mourn for his family? You know, and we see this passage about, wait a second, you know what? It's very, very, very early teachings about the resurrection. Very, very early teaching about eternal life. Like what the, our Lord says when what Moses said at the burning, how he showed about the resurrection. Through the burning bush passage. When you, when, you, when you think about eternity this way, when you, it, it will help you in your walk with the Lord. I can't tell you how many times eternity, the, the, the thought of eternity as my destination, helped me in my own walk with the Lord. You know, when you are uh, in a situation where it's like, wow, you know, you're maybe temptation or propositioned for whatever sin it's like no I'm you know I'm, I'm not gonna get off this narrow path I'm going to eternity you know I am mean, I'm going to paradise I'm going to Zion it's like no I'm not gonna you know if you're going from if you're on the freeway you know we're on the West Coast here in the United States so I'll say the I-5 if you're on the I-5 and you're going from Seattle and you're going from Seattle to Los Angeles And, you know, you got to get there in a certain amount of time. You're not going to take a little side street to, you know, go to whatever, you know, Wyoming. No, you're going to stay on course. You're going to stay focused. No, you're driving. You're going on this path. The same thing applies to the Christian. A lot of times people, because they don't have this, you know, love and fear of the Lord, they they take the little side alleyways. It's not good. That's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants you to take the little side alleyway. Don't take the bait. That's exactly what he wants. Don't take the bait. And so we see these passages and then we start to understand it becomes a little deeper. And then the Lord says here in verse 2, back in Leviticus chapter 21 verse 2, he says this, except for his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. So you start to see there are certain provisions for the priests. It's not to say like, you know, you know all these people die and you just got to, you know, be stoic about it. and be like Okay, they're dead. You know, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. But the Lord makes these provisions except for his relatives who are nearest to him. His mother, his father, his son, his daughter, and his brother. Also, his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband. For her, he may defile himself. So now you start to wonder, like, wait a second, it's permissible to defile himself? A priest? Well, let me tell you something about death. In the law, the Lord says, you know, don't be near a dead body. Uh, If you're near a dead body, it makes you dirty. It makes you unclean. And then there are provisions in the law to be clean again. Remember what he's doing with Israel? They just spent hundreds of years in Egypt. Hundreds of years in Egypt. The Lord has been forgotten for century. You say, what do you mean? Well, remember, the Lord was remembered because the Lord was fresh when Joseph came to Egypt. Even Egypt honored the Lord. But in Egypt, the Lord became forgotten. And even in Israel, the Lord became forgotten while they were in Egypt. And then came the persecution. Because the Lord had been forgotten. And then, you know, hundreds of years in captivity. Think about a generation where the Lord had become forgotten, where, you know, the Lord was kind of reduced to folklore, so to speak. Forgive me for saying it that way, but, you know, that's kind of what happened. The Lord had been reduced to folklore, and then when the Lord made Himself known, wow, surely He made Himself known. It's going to happen again in the last days. The Lord will make Himself known. And what's so beautiful is that you have these passages where the like, and it's hardcore law, where like in Leviticus where we're studying, where the Lord is teaching Israel to make their own discernment of clean and unclean, clean and unclean, and remember the entirety of the law points to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. So it it's metaphysically speaking, it's almost like Israel in these passages is in kindergarten kindergarten or preschool because they're learning these things. They have to apply these things. And as we go through the Old Testament, we're going to get to Malachi. And then, you know, there's a period of silence. And then you turn to Matthew, the Messiah in the form of a child. And that's like, you know, college level, you know, in that, in that classroom environment, these early stages of the law, it all builds up. To like, wow, the fulfillment of the law. What happened through the years, through the century, through the millennia? Blindness. Deafness. Right here it's fresh. Leviticus, it's fresh. But we're going to see these, uh, as we progress through the Old Testament, you're going to see how blindness. You remember Bethel? Look at Jacob in Bethel. It's a beautiful place. But then you get to the minor prophets the Lord is saying, Bethel, don't go to Bethel. Because it's not holy anymore. It's like judgment came to Bethel. The same way the Bible teaches that judgment is coming to the church. Judgment comes first to the house of God. The same way. It's nothing new under the sun. It's it's It, 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 it's, it, it just blows me away. Nothing new. It's exactly the same. Bethel with Jacob. Bethel with, um, in the minor prophets. What happened? The Lord became forgotten. What about the church? The church in the book of Acts? What about the church today? Same way same exact thing the lord has become forgotten you say oh no no the lord's not forgotten really is your pastor female is your pastor homosexual is your pastor uh, transgender does your pastor teach grave soaking do your elders teach grave soaking do they take your youth groups to grave soak what is being taught at the pulpit do you is it found in the word of god That's what I'm talking about. Seeker-friendly movements. The emergent church. Crazy doctrines. People who are saying it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. That's what they're teaching. It's like the minor prophets in Bethel. Bethel is beautiful at the beginning. But at the minor prophets, don't go to Bethel. It's not holding them anymore because the Lord has become forgotten. It's the same way, church in the Book of Acts, church today. Judgment. Judgment comes first to the house of God. And so, look what happens here. You see these passages, and it's like the Lord makes these provisions. Well, wait a second. You know, like you can mourn your relatives. You know, look what happens here. You can, don't defile yourself for the dead among His people, except. For his relatives who are nearest to him, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his, and his brother, and also his virgin sister who is near to him, who has had no husband, for her he may defile himself. Now, you think about this, like the provision where it's okay to defile. Remember, it's not; it's unclean to be near a dead body. And we're going to get into Numbers, like in Numbers 19, the, the cleansing process. It includes a red heifer. That's where the law comes, a red heifer. To, to, to take the to, to, to sacrifice the red heifer take the ashes and then there's this process with water running water it's the process of cleansing what happens on the third day what happens on the seventh day this process for cleansing to be holy again for the priests not just for the priests for the Israel but for the priests specifically here in chapter 21 the Lord is saying you know like except for these people And, you know, speaking about the red heifer, you know, that's something that we're going to study in a little bit when we get into numbers. But then at the same time, these are things that are happening now. The sacrifice of the red heifer, which hasn't happened for a very long time. And now the sacrifice of, you know, there's groups in Israel that are actively searching and actively uh, 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 bioengineering red heifers. To fulfill the law, to, to work in the to, to do the works of the law. In obedience to the law. Remember Israel? They're blind right now. Now there are messianic Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah, but by and large, you know, a large portion, majority, they're blind. Blindness has come to Israel. Now, you know, it's not replacement theology. A lot of people A lot of people. I can say names, but you know what? I'll reserve that for another time. Mainline denominations. Popular pastors. They teach replacement theology. A lot of uh, coalition groups. (laughs) They teach in replacement theology. That God is done with Israel. That is garbage. That is not done with Israel. Remember, the root is... You know, the, the the root, it supports the branch. It's not the branch that holds the, uh, the that supports the, the root. No, to provoke the Jews to jealousy, there was a focal point on the Gentiles. And that door of grace is closing. The fullness of the Gentiles, once that happens, then boom. You know, the fullness of the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, Israel, focus back on Israel. And you see these passages where we have these deeper understandings. And so, like, in the law, this process of cleansing, you know, the red heifer in, in, in Numbers 19, but then at the same time, the, the, the to, to being near a dead body, that makes a person unclean. And the priests, they need to be clean because they have a job to do. They have a role in Israel, a God-given role. The same way a Bible teacher, an elder, a deacon, a, a, a pastor... Has a job to do. You have to be holy. You have to be holy. If you're in ministry, you have to be. You know, you can't go out and mess with your crack pipes. You can't go out and do your pornography. You can't go out to the strip clubs and then come and stand at the pulpit and teach. You cannot. That is wickedness. You cannot do that. And if that is you, you need to repent. Make yourself right with the Lord. You see how the Lord teaches us. Remember, these are priests that he's speaking to. He's like, well, what about his friend? What about his best friend from childhood? What about this? Well, you know, yeah, it's sad. But, you know, to be near a dead body, it can be these people. Relatives who are nearest to him. Because... These people, these priests, they have a job to do. The entirety of Israel. What if like his best friend or a friend from childhood died, you know, in sin, died committing sin? What about the sin that is in his home? The priest is going to mourn? You know, no, it's not that he's going to mourn He's going to be sad, but the priest has a job to do to say, okay, there's sin in this home. Now we need to get fixed this sin in the home to say, focus. I kind of think in military terms. I mean, if you're in a firefight, say, you, you know, you say you have two fire teams. Okay, you're in a firefight, about 10 guys, eight guys. You're in a fire team. And, you know, you're you're you're, you're taking fire. And one guy gets shot. Is there everybody, their weapons down? And, you know, oh, you know, this guy's shot. I'm going to be sad. No, because you're going to be overtaken. You're going to be overrun. You return fire. You know, maybe one guy will go and attend to him or, you know, if he's dead, you're going to be sad, but you're still going to return fire because you have a job to do. You have a role in the team. You have a role in, you know, in as two fire teams. You have a job to do and you have to return fire. And, you know, the time for mourning is later because you have a job to do. And that's how I think of the priests. It's like, you know, this other guy might die, a friend might die, this distant relative, the third cousin might die. It's not to say that, you know, that, you know, oh, just forget about them. No. He has a job to do, the priest. He has a role. These are special people. These are the vessels that the Lord uses to keep Israel clean with a lot of blood. <clears throat> It's important to understand this. if you're a ministry leader, there's something special about you. And I don't mean that to bo to to, to boast or to, to 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 inflate your ego. Deflate your ego. Put a nail in that and deflate that. It's to understand your role. Understand your job. You have sheep. You have lambs. They have to be clean. And you have to gently clean them with the word of god and if you are dirty that cannot happen you know it's not just about rules sometimes i speak hardcore about you know like if you're a pastor and you're on the crack pipe you can't be a pastor or if you're a pastor or if you're an elder and you're going to strip clubs you can't be an elder if you're a a a a pastor And you have pornography, if you're an elder and you're addicted to pornography, if you're doing your alcohol, you can't be a pastor. It's like, oh, that's that's too rigid. You're too strict. No, it's not about strictness. It's about honoring the Lord. 100%. It's about obeying the Lord. Because, you know, if you're a dirty pastor, a dirty elder, a dirty Bible teacher, you know what happens? Lamb and sheep, they cannot be cleansed. Because of hypocrisy. You think of hypocrite as like, you know, think of hypocritical behavior. Hypocritical actions, hypocritical deeds, hypocritical thoughts. Say you have a church of 500 people, a church of 50 people, or a church of two, <laughs> or a church of, you know, four. <laughs> Say, Whatever. It could be four, four hundred, four thousand, four hundred thousand. But say you're a hypocrite. And you're doing your pornography, you're doing your drugs, you're doing your crack pipe, you're doing your meth, you're doing your going to strip clubs. If you teach, there's no power. There's no power at all. You're. there's no power, zero. And if there's no power, there's zero power. Do you know what happens to the lamb and to the sheep? They come in dirty, and because you're dirty, they're still dirty. They go out, they come in the door dirty, they go out the door dirty. I don't care whatever kind of twist you put on it. I don't care how you appeal to emotions. Whatever twist you put on it. A person comes in dirty, they go out dirty. No cleansing of the sheep. No cleansing of the flock, and they're not your flock. They're God's flock. You're just, you know, a temporary shepherd, so to speak. A temporary, you know, caretaker, which you can, you might even be a wolf. So sometimes I say things, it's like, wow, you know, that's so mean spirited. How can you say this against a pastor? You're so mean spirited. How can you say this about the elder? You're so mean-spirited. How can you say this about Bible teachers? It's not mean-spirited at all. It's obedience. Because there's a job to do. You know, just like that fire team example. You're receiving. You're on the receiving end of fire. What are you gonna do? Bow down and cry? You know, wave the the white flag. You know, your your friend gets shot, blown to pieces. You're gonna start crying. You know, tend to him and be like, oh, you know. No, you're gonna return fire because you're gonna suffer more casualties. If not, you have a job to do. And the entire platoon, maybe you're just a little fire team, but the entire platoon, the entire battalion, they have a job to do. And you're the breach. You have to, you know, you have to make the breach. You have a job to do. So that's why I say this is a hardcore message for you know, Bible teachers, elders, pastors. To understand you have a job to do. You know, you hear in, in, uh, 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 we read in uh, Hebrews 12, you know, lay aside all those things that hinder us. How much more for pastors, elders, teachers, you know, Bible teachers, deacons, ministry leaders? How much more? Because you have a job to do. You have a role to play. I say you're special. It's not to puff you up, but you're special. If that's you, if you're a pulpit Christian and not a pew Christian, but a pulpit Christian, that's you. You're very, very special. Not to inflate you, but to deflate you. Because, you know, let not many of you be teachers. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I say that to, you know, instill fear in you. To instill fear in you in as the most loving way that I possibly can. Because it's in complete and total obedience to Jesus Christ. The pastor of the church. And so look what happens here. So in the law, you have, you know, bury bury uh, uh, bury the dead. But there's uh, uh, if you're a priest, it's only the close family. Only the close family. And there's other law that we're going to study where it's like if you're exposed to the dead body, what has to be done? You know, the sacrifice, what has to be done with the red heifer, what has to be done with the, the running water. And then what happens on the third day, the seventh day, which we're going to study. We'll get to there in Numbers 19. But, you know, you hear Jesus Christ when he says, let the dead bury their own. Let the dead bury their own. It's kind of interesting because, turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 9. In Luke 9, what I like about my tabs is that I can quickly turn there. And when I quickly turn there, I take a sip of tea. So I don't have my tabs, but now I'm going to take a sip of tea. if you're listening for the first time i have to because my throat is pretty shot it's it's pretty bad so you know pray but then at the same time you hear these pauses that's why i have to take a, a, a hot drink coffee or tea so in in luke 9 uh verse 59 this is what the lord says verse 59 then he said to another then he said to another follow me but he said Lord, let me first go. Very interesting, you see this response. Let me first go. You know what that means? That the call of the Lord is not a priority. The call of God is not a priority. Let me first go and bury my father. Now, in the law, you know, we've studied this already, but in the law, you know, honor your parents. Honor your mother and father. And yes, it's like, you know, to honor your mother or father, but, you know, it's in doing so, Never, ever bring dishonor to your father in heaven. Never. It's never at the expense of Jesus Christ or our father in heaven. Never at their expense. You know, it's so important to understand if you're a parent and you have kids, you have to teach them. You know, a lot of times parents get into trouble. Families get into trouble because the parents teach at a young age, a five-year-old kid, you know, honor your mother, honor your father. And the kid is like, okay, I'm going to honor my mother, honor my father. And then the kid is 10 years old. Honor my mother. Honor my father. Okay. 15 years old. Honor my mother. Honor my father. 20. Honor my mother. Honor my father. F- you know, 30. Honor my mother. Honor my father. You know, and then they leave home. If you're Say you're in a liberal home and your kids leave at age 40 and you have a 40 year old kid finally leaving home. And it's like, okay, honor my mother. Honor my father. You know what happens? Mommy and daddy become God. Mommy and daddy have become God. Because from eight early age they taught honor your mother, honor your father. And at a young age, it's totally okay to teach a young kid, honor your mother, honor your father, because a mom and dad are training the child. But I'll tell you a better way to tell a young girl, to tell a young boy, you know, hey my son, hey baby girl, honor your mother, honor your father. Because it's honoring our Father in Heaven. Make that little additive. I shouldn't say little additive. Make that big additive. Hey, baby girl, honor me as your mom. Hey, baby girl, honor me as your dad. Because it's pleasing to Jesus Christ. Honor me as your mom. Honor me as your dad. And, you know, in so doing, you honor Jesus Christ. Because what's going to happen? You know, baby girl is going to be five. Five. And then you know, okay, I'm gonna honor my mom, honor my dad, and it's pleasing to the Lord, okay. Baby girl's 15, okay, it's gonna be, you know, the, the the ties, the parental ties are gonna be looser at age 15. Baby girl's gonna understand, okay. I'm gonna honor my mom, honor my dad. And it's honoring my father in heaven. And then baby girl's gonna be 20, leave the home yeah I love my mom. I love my dad. I'm gonna honor them. I'm gonna respect them, but you know what? I've been trained from an early age that I have to honor my Father in heaven to honor Jesus Christ, and so now, Lord, it's you and me, you know, and then the baby girl can pray, you know, thank you, Lord, for raising me in this home that my parents taught me well, and they easily cut the umbilical cord easily, piece of cake. But you know what happens when parents teach hardcore? Honor your parents, honor your mom, honor your dad. And period, they leave it there. What happens when a kid is 20, 30, 40? That's when you have parents becoming God. Idolatry. And you see the fruit of it. You see the fruit. Look at families. Yeah, you don't need me to tell you. There's messed up families all over the place. You see it. Look at the fruit. No wisdom. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. Maybe I do. Not in a bad judgment. Remember, people say, don't judge, lest you be judged. But there's three judges. You know, there's Crino, Anacrino, and Diacrino. Only one is forbidden. I can't say that family's messed up. They're going to burn in hell. But I can say that family's messed up because I'm making a judgment. So, you know, people get crazy. They start to think, oh, you know, don't judge me, lest you be judged. Well, no, your family's crazy. Biblically, your family's crazy. You know, uh, Don't get in that trap when people say, don't judge lest you be judged. There's three judges. Crino, which is like, you know, you're going to burn in hell. Only the Lord can do that. No man can do that. Only Jesus Christ can. And then there's anacrino and diacrino, which is you have to make an assessment. You have to make a determination. So biblically, when you've taken the plank out of your own eye, biblically, you look at the families, you look at the fruit and it's a form of judgment, but it's not condemnation, like you're gonna burn in hell. So I can't say your family's crazy, everybody's gonna burn in hell. I can't say that. But I can say is biblically, your family's crazy. So you need to like train your kids. Teach them these things, you know, honor your mom, honor your dad, but you know, in honor of their father in heaven. Because it's gonna be easier for baby girl to grow up and you know, cut the umbilical cord and attach herself to Jesus Christ. Attach himself to Jesus Christ for the Son. And it's so beautiful because you have this concept of, not concept, you have the reality of righteousness passing on through generations. The very thing that Israel failed to do. And I, I don't say that like, you know, how dare they. I say it like, man, it's sad that it happened. How God became forgotten in Egypt you know what's so sad? We're in Leviticus 21, but God becomes forgotten again. You know why? Because a generation passes and passes again, another generation where the Lord becomes forgotten. You see? And so look what happens here in verse 60. Still in Luke, Luke 9. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So, you know, parents... You're due honor from your kids. It's biblical. You're due honor. But never at the expense of Jesus Christ. Never at the expense of Jesus Christ. If you're a grandparent and you've taught your kids, you know, honor me, honor me, honor me, honor your your mom, honor your dad. If you're a grandparent, you know, you might have to go back to your kids and say, hey, I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, you might be tasting the fruit of your error. You know, and you might have to repent and say, Lord, forgive me. I blew it. You know, Lord, my family's messed up because you know I I dabble too much. You know, I did this. It was my will being done. And it's so beautiful when the Lord is put in his proper place. You know, when I've done that in my own life, in my own home. My home was a mess. But when I say put the Lord in his proper place, you know what? I put me in my proper place. I get off the throne of my heart and then I place Jesus at Lord, you know. Here, my heart is. It's yours. Take it. Take it. The throne is yours. I'm off the throne, and I'm bowing before you, Lord. And you know what? He fixes everything. So you heard me say earlier, it sounds so cheesy to say he fixes, but you know what? He fixes. He's quite the carpenter. You know, if if I don't say so myself, he's quite the carpenter. You know, never. You're, the honor that parents are due is never to exceed that of Jesus Christ. Never never ever ever and you teach your kids at a very early age and it's so beautiful you know a lot of times you know it it's it's quite possible to 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 for parents to lord over kids and you see it exemplified in the world you see it exemplified in the church the lord jesus christ needs to be at the throne of everything a dad a mom a kid and the kids have trouble because they're kids You have to teach them. And even in a church setting, the Lord is on the throne of the pastor, of the elder. Koinonia. Ecclesia. Look what happens here. In verse 61, still in Luke uh, 9, it says, And another also said, Lord, I I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So, He's like, like in verse uh, uh, 59, it's family. But here in verse 61, it's even closer family. Those who are in my house, wow, like immediate family. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa, that is heavy. Not fit for the kingdom of God? Wow, that is heavy, 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 heavy. And sometimes, you know, I get I get a lot of flack because you know I've been called a home wrecker. You know, oh you're causing division in my home. And I used to not like that. You know, I I'm not trying to do that. But you know what? If you want to go to your strip clubs, if you want to do your alcohol stuff, but your kid sees that error and wants to honor the Lord, then, you know, that's fulfills what the Lord says. A man's enemies will be those in his own home. I don't want to cause division. It's not that I want to. I want unity in a home. But I want that unity to be Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what I desire. And if you want to go to your strip clubs, if you want to do your crack, and your children are want to honor the Lord, then okay. Then... Let the light in your home. Let the salt in your home be in your kids. Look at wives. You know, wives. You know, submit to husband. Submit to husband. Submit to husband. The husband goes off and does his crack, and the wife submits to that. No, you get all kinds of mess in the kids. The wife submits to Jesus Christ. No, it's kind of like you. You know, if you're a female and you're in that situation, you're stretched in both ways. You're stretched. You know. You know. You're. you're receiving a, a, a new wine in your new wineskin. And you're submitting to Jesus Christ. Your husband's gone off to crazy town. And you're holding him with one hand. And then you're holding on to the kids with the other. It's like a cross. You know, your arms are stretched out. Holding on to the uh, a husband who's gone to crazy town. And holding on to the kids. Praise be to the Lord. In so doing, you save your husband and your kids. See how beautiful the Lord teaches us these things? Remember, this is some hardcore stuff, what we're studying, not stuff, hardcore truths in Leviticus 21. And a very, very heavy emphasis on ministry leaders. Very heavy emphasis because you have a job to do. You know, you have a hardcore job to do. You have a task that the Lord wants you to do in keeping his flock clean, not dirty. They don't come to you dirty and leave dirty. They come to you dirty and you cleanse them as gently as you can. You cleanse them with the word of God. You cleanse them in prayer. You cleanse them in interceding. And you teach the word as best as you can. You teach the word in honoring the Lord, honoring Him. And so let's go back to Leviticus 21. So you read here, verse 3, it says, that, you know, like, okay, there's so for her he may defile himself. It's like, wow, wait a second. Do I, you know, I, I, I bury the dead? You know, if you're a priest, it's like, okay, I bury dead. But then under grace, the Lord says, let the dead bury their own. You know what that is? That's a great fork in the road. There's the difference between the law and grace. The law and grace. There are some passages where we get to learn the character. We learn more about the character of our Lord. You shouldn't say some there, a lot, if not all. We learn more about the character of our Lord, but then at the same time, we're presented with these forks in the road. Sometimes decisions that you have to make to honor the Lord. And in this fork, it's the law and grace. And the law kills. We're going to study that hardcore in Romans. Say, Does that mean the Lord is taking people down a path that's going to kill them? No, he's teaching them to make the discernment of clean and unclean. And once they make that discernment, you go further down the path, and the Lord gives them a bridge. Capital B, He gives them Jesus Christ. That's why you heard me say earlier, it's like preschool and college. It's like a great lesson. Teaching. It was the priests who were the ones who should have known that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But no, they didn't understand. You know, we studied the, we looked at Luke nine, Luke twenty, Luke nine, and Luke twenty. When Jesus Christ says Moses taught about, he showed the resurrection. Through you know, when he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he showed the resurrection. So you read passages of the Sadducees and Pharisees. Why did the Sadducees not Sadducees? Why do they not believe in the resurrection? At least the Pharisees. I'm not, I'm not you know, pro law. But at least the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. That's why you see more Pharisees than Saddu- Sadducees who became Christians in the early church. Pharisees were able to, you know, understand because of their uh, 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 their leaning, their understanding, their belief in the resurrection. They were to able to understand, you know, to transition from say first grade to second grade. You know, it was, that transition was easier to make. Because of their belief in the resurrection and their understanding of these passages of the resurrection, it helped them. It was a tool for them to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. Because there were Pharisees who became Christians. Now, these Pharisees who became Christians, they also they also attempted to impose. Well, they did impose circumcision. And Paul had some major beef about that. Remember the council we studied in in Acts. Paul, Peter, Barnabas, they had certain things to say. James, they had a lot of things to say about that. So there were Pharisees who became Christians. The Sadducees, you don't hear about Sadducees becoming Christians. Why? Because they were closed off to the resurrection. That's where doctrine can hurt you. You know, certain doctrine, because you're raised in a certain religious system, because you're raised in whatever system, you know, you're closed off. It closes you off to certain things. Oh, yeah, I don't believe that. My grandma taught me this, so you know, she loved me and she looks after me. And she taught me that, you know, people when they die, they go to purgatory. Oh, my dad loves you, me. My dad loves me. So, you know, he taught me that when people die, we go to purgatory. And so I'm going to go to Mass and I'm going to pray for the Virgin Mary to go and rescue these people out of purgatory. Well, let me tell you something, if that's you, it's not in the Bible, it is not in the Holy Bible. And it it's not in Holy Scripture, the teaching on purgatory. The teaching on the Virgin Mary to go and rescue people out of purgatory. Now, Grandma might, you know, not might love you. She surely loved you. Well, maybe. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm assuming Mom and Dad loved you. You know, surely they did. Surely they were looking out for you. But what if they believed a lie? And they thought that they were teaching you the right thing. What if they believe the lie? Of course you know I'm speaking of Catholicism. There is no purgatory. The Virgin Mary doesn't go into purgatory to rescue the dead people, rescue your relatives from hell. It's not in the Bible. You know what's in the Bible? It is appointed for man to die once and then judgment. Whoa. That's in the Bible. And Jesus Christ says, you know, have the blood of have the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart. And you know what happens? The plague will pass over you. Judgment will pass over you. Just like what happens in the Passover in Exodus. That's what the word teaches. So if you're a Catholic, you know what you need to do? You need to have the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart. You say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Well, I mean a Christian in accordance with the Bible. Not a so-called Christian in parentheses, in accordance with the teachings of Rome. I mean, you go to church history, you read about church history. You see what happens in church history with, uh, you know, the, the the early popes, Constantine. What a mess. Look at the persecution. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Look at what the uh, Roman Catholics did to Christians. What they did to women. What they did to children. What they did to pregnant women. What they did to husbands in watching these things and then killing the husbands. Can you imagine a husband. You're a Christian. Say you're a Waldensian. And you're, you know you you follow Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden you you know you are you're, you're taken captive. You need to follow Rome, and if you don't follow Rome, say you're a husband, and then you have to watch what they do to your daughter. To make you believe in in the teachings of Roman Catholicism. Then you have to watch what they do to your wife. So your daughter's dead, your son's dead, you know, your baby is dead. Now you have to watch what they do to your wife. She's dead now. Now it's your turn. What are you gonna do? Oh, I accept Rome. Don't hurt my wife. Oh, I accept the. I accept Catholicism. Or you, you know, stand for Jesus Christ, and then they kill you. so crazy. I mean it's this is in the history books. You have to understand these things. So I say, you know, grandma loves you, mom and dad love you. But what if they were wrong? God loves you. He gave his only begotten son. I don't care if you're Hindu, whatever, or Catholic, I don't care Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, God loves you. Come out of her, my people. So let's go back here. You know, these very, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that's why you see there's, you don't see Sadducees who became Christians because of their doctrine, because they you know, all were closed off to the, the resurrection. They fought, they were big arguments about it, were closed off to the resurrection. Because they were closed off to the resurrection, that doctrine that they were in, it was presented a brick wall, a brick wall to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There were more Pharisees that came to Christ. That's why, you know, I say these things about doctrine. Sometimes doctrine presents a brick wall to sound doctrine, the truth of Holy Scripture. That's why, you know, I get, I'll say it, I get angry. I get very angry when pastors start teaching that it's okay to go grave soaking. I get angry. Not for the sake of anger, but for the sake of protecting the sheep, the flock. It's not even my flock. flock of god but i get angry because i want to say how dare you pastor so-called but you think you're a pastor how dare you how dare you lead this sheep to hell how dare you teach and, and you know you teach and encourage an abomination necromancy and you call it you know jesus christ you call this christianity Woe to you, pastor. Woe to you, elder. So I get angry. I have to be very careful with anger. And you know, if to further understand this concept of what I speak of, listen to our study in Acts 20. You'll know exactly what I mean. This is a hardcore passage for church leadership, Bible teachers, elders, pastors. And so look what happens here. In verse in chapter 21, Leviticus, verse <clears throat> um, 4. Otherwise, he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. Notice, it's self-inflicted. And notice his role. He's a chief man among the people. And that's not to say, like, wow, look how awesome he is. If you're a, a, priest, or, not a priest, if you're a pastor, elder, you know, Bible teacher, you know, deacon... You know, ministry leader, and you're you're getting on a high horse. No, remember our Lord. He didn't even ride on a horse. He's riding on a horse when he comes again. But when he came the first time, he was riding on a colt. He was riding on a donkey. A donkey, straight up. You know, no fancy horse, no fancy carriage. A donkey. Remember that. You get off your horse. You know, no donkey. Get on your feet and walk. You're walking. You're humping it. You know, you're on your feet. A hump is like a hike, you know, just so you know. You're humping it. It's so beautiful when you see these passages. When our Lord comes, He's on His horse. He's already been glorified. He's already resurrected. He's already been glorified. So, on this side of eternity, it's like, man, you know, we're not glorified. Get off your high horse. Not to say that you can get on your high horse when you're glorified. No. That's Satan. That's Lucifer. He wanted to be worshipped. Read Isaiah 14. So look what happens here. In verse 5. They shall not make any bald place on their heads, nor shall they shave the edges of their beards, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. That's what you see today. A Certain orthodox or even rabbis, they have these big old beards. Huge beards. And then they have their, their locks on the side of their head. And you see like, wow, you know, it just happens today. The Orthodox, the the, 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 the the people of the law, you know, it's, it's sad. It breaks my heart and I pray for them, you know, because it's like I want them to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as their Lord and Savior. But blindness has come to Israel, you know, it's not going to be there forever. It's to provoke them to jealousy. You say like, wow, what does that mean? You hear me say this every once in a blue moon, I'll mention this, but you, know, you take two kids. And say you have a kid that's a little uh, not taking to you, not taking to your teachings. And so you take kid number two, and you say, okay, here, I'm going to play with you. Here's this nice little toy. And what happens with that kid who's not taking light to your teachings? Because they're provoked to jealousy, now they're going to come. Be like, oh, can I play with that toy too? You see, it's the provoke That's what happens with Israel. The rejection of Jesus Christ. Remember, we have no king but Caesar. Remember, Pontius Pilate. Here's your king, and then they cry, "We have no king but Caesar." Okay. And then what happens? There's a period of time to the Jew first, and then the ministry of Paul to the Gentiles, and then Peter to the Gentiles. With we see in uh, uh, Cornelius with Peter. And then at the same time, you start to see like, you know, some Jews being saved. And then the door opens up to the Gentiles. And the door today is open to the Gentiles. But it's going to close. The fullness of the Gentiles, it's going to close. Why? To provoke the Jews to jealousy. And just like the, the 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 kid I gave in that example who wasn't taking to the teachings, you have Israel who didn't take to the teachings of Jesus the Messiah. And now because they've been provoked to jealousy, now, okay, come, let's learn again. That's that's what's going to happen. Read the prophecies, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. Read the prophecies. It's going to happen. And so look what happens here in verse 6. And I love this chapter. If you're a ministry leader, if you're a pastor, elder, deacon, teacher, Bible teacher, you know, youth leader, highlight verse 6. I don't want to lord over your faith. And very rarely will I make mention of highlighting but if you're in a, a, a pulpit Christian, highlight verse 6. And this is what the Lord says of the priests. They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God. For they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. That's what the Lord says. This is a priest in the law. But to understand the character and nature of our Lord in application... For the pew Christian or for the pulpit Christians today, that's why I say highlight verse six. Now, if you're a pew Christian, you might be a pulpit Christian later. You don't know. I don't know. But you need to be trained up anyways. And then the Lord might call you and say, okay, I want to use you in this capacity. I want to use you in this ministry. So pay attention. If you're a Pew Christian, I guess if you know if you're a Pew Christian, you might want to highlight this highlight verse six <laughs> so everybody <laughs> highlight verse six and if you're a pew christian right write the date <laughs> so you could put the date on there and then like in five years when you're a pastor <laughs> in five years ten years when you're an elder whatever whatever time frame you can reflect on verse six and be like wow i remember when i was a pew christian and now look i'm a pastor now look i'm an elder now look i teach the bible Praise be to the Lord. Look what happens here. Be holy. Do not profane the name of the Lord. You know why? Because what it says here in verse six: You offer the offerings of the Lord and the bread of God. Therefore, you shall be holy. You're in a very special category if you're a pulpit Christian, and I, you know, if you're if your your head is getting inflated, you know, stick a needle in there, pop that puppy. Because you need to be humble before the Lord. Humility. But you're still special. You're a means by which the flock is cleansed. By the word of God. But you're gently, gently cleaning the lamb, The sheep come in. You know, filthy. They've been in the world. They come in dirty. And you're gently with the word of God. Gently cleansing them. When you're done cleaning them, they leave, and you're on your face before the Lord. You're praying. Like we have our Sunday, we have our Wednesday studies. Wednesday, that's what I do. Gently cleansing, as gently as I can. Gently cleansing the sheep. They leave on my face before the Lord, praying. Sunday, gently cleansing. Gently cleansing with the Word of God. Sunday, they leave, okay, on my face before the Lord, praying for the sheep, praying for the lambs. That's what you have to do if you're a ministry leader. I say you're very special, which indeed you are very special, but if your head is getting big, pop that puppy. It's a calling of the Lord. Understand these things. You know, if you if you're if in your mind, if you're a pure Christian, you say, oh, it's no big deal. No big deal. It's a huge deal. You know. Say, so you're like, okay, I'll go to church. I'll go to church, listen for an hour. No big deal. It's just an hour. And when I'm done, I'll go out and, you know, do my sin later on. Now, don't think that way. Change your thinking. It's a huge deal. You know, you go to a restaurant. Say so you go to a restaurant. You go to uh, Boston. Boston, Boston Harbor. Say so you go to Boston Harbor, okay? And you go to the Boston Harbor, you go to a restaurant. And you get a fish and potatoes, a plate of fish and potatoes. You eat it, wow, it's beautiful. It tastes so good, it tastes delicious. Say it's an expensive plate, 200 bucks. $500 plate. Like, wow, it's expensive. So you have $500 plate, then you go home, you relax, you go to sleep, your belly's nice and full, and you sleep like a baby. Or you can enjoy the meals, and say, oh, no big deal, it's just another meal. You go home, sleep like a baby. But let me tell you what you don't see. Say you, you're, you go to the restaurant in Boston, Boston Haba. Okay, Boston Harbor, fancy restaurant, you know, $500 plate. What you don't see is early that morning in Florida, on the coast of Florida, a woke up at 3 in the morning. They caught. They went on in their boat, they caught the snapper. Fresh snapper, not, you know, not raised in a zoo, not raised in a, you know, a farm, a fish farm. You know, freshly caught ocean. So, you know, it's, it's caught, you know, they... Come back to harbor, come back to the, the land and, you know, unload the the fish. And they have a team of people that, you know, pack it up, put it on ice. No freezing. Put it on ice and then they ship it to Boston. And then they have, you know, potatoes, best potatoes, best soil for potatoes in Maine. You know, a good, you know, whatever potato in Maine. And then early in the morning, everything's shipped. Everything's shipped. At 2 p.m., everything arrives in, in, in Boston. The truckers, you know, go to, to whatever port, whatever airport, whatever seaport, I don't know, whatever body of water connects to Boston. Everything is shipped, it goes to the restaurant, two PM. Everything gets to the restaurant. Now I'm just about fish and potatoes, there's other stuff. You know, what about the poultry? What about the meats? What about other ingredients? Maybe from the world. Everything's brought in. And at two PM the, the restaurant crew they start clean, they unload, they clean everything. Kitchen prep to prepare the for the chefs, the sous chefs, all the whatever, the line of chefs. And so they prepare the food, cut, get everything in order. They cut and you get everything portioned out for plates. Get everything portioned out. And then, you know, the, the restaurant opens at 5 p.m. Patrons start, you know, making their orders. And we got our first order, you know, fish and potatoes. Oh, probably, Snapper. Snapper from Florida. Potatoes, the chef cooks it I'm not just you know run-of-the-mill chef. There's a world- class and classically trained chef, the best there's a two-month wait list to, to, to even eat his food. And you go there and you eat the meal. Wow, it's a beautiful meal. you go home, you know, go to your hotel, whatever, sleep like a baby. belly's nice and full. There's a lot of things you don't see. What you don't see is the fishermen in Florida. What you don't see are the farmers in Maine. There's a lot what you don't see are the uh, the crew that packs everything, puts the fish on ice. What you don't see are the, the pickers in, 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 in Maine. You don't see the shippers, you don't see the drivers. You don't see all that. You don't see the kitchen staff. All you see is your fish and potatoes, and it's good. And I say this, it's like, wow, you know, it's like, wow, that's a $500 plate. That's expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. But even more so for the Word of God. not it, it, Incomparable. How much more with the Word of God? If you have this mentality like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to the Bible for an hour. No big deal. I'll listen to Bible study for an hour, you know, 30 minutes. No big deal. Oh, the pastor goes longer than an hour. I'm going to talk to him and, you know, say, can you do it in 20 minutes? Can you do it in 30 minutes? And if you don't do it, I'm going to leave. Which means if I leave, I'm going to take my money. I'm not going to tithe anymore. All right. Let your money perish with you. Who cares about the money? It's about your soul. If you have this mentality like, you know, it's no big deal, it's a huge deal. Because you listen to a sermon for an hour, you listen to a sermon for an hour and 20 minutes, give or take a couple hours. <laughs> But there's a lot of things you don't see. What you don't see is that Bible teacher that is on his face before the Lord. What you don't see, you know, if you're a, 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 a um, elder, if you're a Bible teacher, ministry leader, what you don't see is that person's face before the Lord. On their face before the Lord. That person interceding for the flock. That person in the Word. That person not being a hypocrite. Not, you know, okay, buy sheep, they leave, and then all of a sudden you're like off to your strip clubs. Okay, buy sheep, wow, you know, praise the Lord, speaking Christianese, and then go doing to their crack pipe. Getting the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. You don't see that. Not with the godly. You see it with the perishing, but you don't see it with the godly. So you listen to a sermon for an hour, it's like, wow, you know. You know, that, there's that aspect. But if ever in your mind you think it's no big deal, it's a huge deal. Because there's a lot that you don't see. You know, pray for your pastors. Pray for your Bible teachers. Because what you see is hypocrisy all over the place. And where you see hypocrisy, you see hypocrisy among the perishing. But even still, you know, just like Elijah. The Lord told Elijah there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Where are the godly? Where are the godly pastors, elders, your Bible teachers, ministry leaders? And if that's you, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder and you don't pray before a sermon, you need to pray. You need to seek the will of the Lord, the face of the Lord. If you're a pastor, elder, Bible teacher, and you go to you know the web and you download sermon notes and you print it out and you teach you no know, study in the Bible. You need to repent, possibly even step down. But you need to repent for sure. Because there's a flock, not yours, God's people. They need to be cleansed by the Word of God. They need to be equipped with the Word of God. They need to be taught by the Word of God. And from time to time, they need to be chastised with the Word of God. People don't like that, the chastisement of the Word of God. But it's biblical. That's why people get away, you know, sexual sin, pedophilia. You know, you have these uh, uh, adult pastors who molest little 10-year-old boys, 10-year-old girls. I have to be very, very careful because I don't want to do good things to these people. They get away with it. Why? Because everybody says, oh, let's just love on them. Let's just love and let God take care of the rest. Well, you know what's better? To let God take care of it through you. Because if he takes care of it in the life to come. You're going to burn in hell. Such a person can never be a pastor. Never be an elder. A molester. That's what he does to the flock. It's. It doesn't work that way. It's all crazy doctrines. Crazy doctrines, of the world that we live in. Look at the church. Remember, judgment comes first in the house of God. But verse 6, They shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, And they, for they offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire and the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. Highlight verse 6. Verse 7, They shall not take a wife who is a harlot. Translates as a whore. They shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. This is the vessel used. To get people right with god you know there's a lot to be said about virtuous living i shouldn't even say it that way it's virtuous living it's like it's what we strive for it's the the life of a christian virtuous living you know look at the world today look at women look at like women fashion how women dress even in a church environment women dress have you ever gone to a church it's like wow what in the world i feel it's like i'm at the club you know, it's like the woman comes to church like that, dressed like that. Why oh, you're like, well, put on a coat, put on a robe, put on some clothes. And then you see a female who's like modestly dressed. And it's so beautiful, like wow. And she's like shunned, she's like shamed because she doesn't want to dress worldly. And then the guys, you know, they all you know they flock to the worldly women. Why? Because they have carnal eyes in Christ, you know you get rid of your carnal eyes and then you see real beauty and you got you know the nerdy girl so-called nerdy girl who dresses you know modestly in honor of the Lord virtuously it's like wow, look how beautiful that is to honor the Lord. So it's it's backwards what we see today. it's backwards what we see today in verse seven, you know about the priests; shall not take a wife who is a harlot or a whore, or is de- a defiled woman. Nor shall they take a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Therefore, you shall consecrate him. This is the priest. Consecrate the priest. It's the, 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 for it's like the people consecrating the priest. Therefore, you shall consecrate him, for he offers the bread of your God. You see, this is a hardcore passage for. Ministry leaders, Bible teachers, elders, pastors. Hardcore. What you offer to the flock is Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He shall be holy to you, for I, the I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. Now, I have to say something about pride. If you're a Bible teacher, pastor, elder, deacon, ministry leader, you can't be prideful. Yeah, you're special because of the job you have to do. You know, but... The closer you get to Jesus Christ, you know how Moses says, be holy for the Lord is holy? Brother Peter says, Be holy for the Lord is holy. And you say, okay, I'm gonna, you know, take the cue of Moses, take the cue of Peter and be holy for the Lord is holy. You do that, the more people will hate you. You have more people hate you than ever. You know, you think of the mega churches, you know how easy it is to have a mega church? How super, super, super easy it has. It is to have a mega church. I'll tell you. This is what you do if you want a mega church. Uh, you take a venue. You, uh, certain places are cheaper. If you're like in Los Angeles, it's going to be more expensive. But I'll, I'll use an average figure. You just take a venue, large venue, and you rent it out twenty thousand dollars for a weekend. Twenty k. So you're twenty k deep just for the venue, and you have a big environment, like a big warehouse or outdoor amphitheater, whatever. Twenty thousand for the weekend. And then you hire a band, you know, 20, ten- another twenty thousand. Let's say it's a good band, so another twenty K, maybe ten K, depending on the quality of band, quality music. So right now you're 30, 40 K deep. And then you you know you have the logistical expenses, so say you're another ten thousand, another 20k deep. So in total, fifty to sixty thousand. So that's how deep you are. And then you know, part of that logistical expense is the notification to notify people, you know, mailers, you know. Uh, Blitz on the internet, blitz through churches and say, yeah, we're going to have this event here. Imagine this band is going to be here. And then you have it Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You have this event. People come, masses of people. And then you pass around an offering plate, so-called offering plate. And the first time, you know, uh, Friday, offering plate in the beginning, offering plate at the end. Saturday, offering plate at the beginning, offering plate at the end. The end, Sunday, Sunday. Offering plate at the beginning, offering plate at the end. So you're, say, 50K, 50K deep. By the Sunday, by Sunday, you count everything, you're going to be in the black already. You would have made up your profits. That's how you start a megachurch. That's how you do megachurches business. So you have a lot of people, but you know what? No God, no Jesus. What do you want? You have uh, mammon. Yeah, a lot of people and your God is mammon. But where's Jesus Christ? Where's the Lord? That's what I want to know. Where's the Lord? You know, in Revelation, you know, uh, I stand at the door and knock and if you hear me, I will come in. That's to the church. That's what, why is the Lord on the outside? Why does the Lord have to stand on the outside and knock? And if you hear me, I will come in. Why does the Lord, why, number one, why is the Lord on the outside? Number two, why does the Lord say, if you will hear me? I mean, it's beautiful that he says, I will come in. It's beautiful that he makes these attempts to, that I stand at the door and knock. It's beautiful that, you know, he'll come in and sup with you, with us. But why is he on the outside? That's the last day's church. What has happened? What has happened? So if you're a pastor, I say you're special. If you're a Bible teacher, I say you're special. Elder, special. But you have a job to do. To deny self and teach like it's nobody's business. Teach the word of God. Get off your high horse. There's no pastoral pride here. No Bible teacher pride here. In verse 9, The daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself, notice it's self-inflicted. She profanes herself. By playing the harlot, translates as a whore. By playing the harlot, she profanes her father. So it's self-inflicted unto her. But in profaning the father too, you see a picture of strings are attached. Strings are attached to her behavior. Strings are attached to her family because of her behavior. The impact to others. Now, I have to say something. If you're a young person listening to this, if you're a young person and say you're a teenager, you're listening and, and you are you can comprehend these things, and say you're whorish. You're a whorish son. You're a whorish daughter. I'm going to say something that's hardcore. I love you, but I'm going to say something that's hardcore. You need to repent. I don't care if your parents are in ministry. I don't care if your dad's a pastor, elder. You know, If your mom's a pastor, <laughs> you need to talk. We'll talk about that. I don't care if they're in ministry, but if you're a whorish son, if you're a whorish daughter, you bring this honor to the home. You cannot do that. You need to repent and you need to get your heart right with the Lord. You say, oh, my mom's a pastor. Well, that's unbiblical. When you're right with the Lord, when you get yourself right with the Lord, then you need to go to mom and say, hey, mom, the Bible says you can't be a pastor. Don't say, hey, this guy says you can't be a I say that because I read the pastoral epistles, what Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus. Read it. Get your heart right with the Lord first. But you're if you're a whorish son or whorish daughter, cut it out. Repent. Because you bring dishonor to the home. And if you're a, a, a if you're a PK pastor's kid, even worse. Because you know you still bring dishonor to the home, but you almost also limit the ability of your dad to minister to other families. If your mom's in ministry, you limit her ability to minister to other families. Why? Because of hypocrisy in the home. I say if you're a whore's son, or if you're a whore's daughter, but, you know, what if you're just a dumb kid, you know, and you're doing your crack, you're doing your alcohol. And I say dumb kid with as much love as I can. I don't say it to hurt your feelings. I say that because I love you. Don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. Be wise to the times. Be wise in your own walk with the Lord. You need to repent. I love you. But, you know, even in my own stupidity, I've made mistakes. You know, I can tell you mistakes that I've made, but I'm ashamed of them. 20 years ago, you know, I was was a believer, but I still played games with the Lord. And the Lord, He really messed me up. And praise be to the Lord because of that chastisement. I was refined through the chastisement. And so when I say you make these dumb decisions, don't make dumb decisions like I made dumb decisions, okay? It's very important to understand these things if you're a pastor. Now, if you've never heard, if you're a pastor's kid, an elder's kid, you've never heard these things, wow, you know, you repent, get right with the Lord, then you might have to have a talk with your dad. (laughs) Dad, how come I never heard these things before? Dad, how come you never disciplined me? Mom, how come you never disciplined me? Oh, I just wanted to love you, son. I just wanted to love you, daughter, and let God take care of the rest. Wow, I almost see that as hateful because if they never told you when God takes care of if you die and God takes care of you, wow, say hello to the second death. I almost see that as more hateful. It's better to learn the discipline of the Lord now because at least you have a chance to repent. the chastising at least you have a chance to repent. And you're right with the Lord, and praise be to the Lord. So people make these excuses. They say, all oh, right, let's just love these people and let God take care of the rest. Wow. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous game to play. So understand these things. It's you know, when we see the look what happens in, in verse uh, in verse nine, the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by playing the harlot, she profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. This is the law. I'm not saying if you're a horse son, if you're a whore's daughter, we're going to burn you in fire. I'm not going to say that. But you get a picture of God's perspective on things. Remember, God never changes. People say, wow, well, are you saying that I should be burned? Not at all. I'm saying that you need to come to Jesus Christ. That's why I love Jesus Christ so much. You know why? Because I should be burned. I should be stoned. I should be on the cross. I should be dead. But I love Jesus Christ so much because I'm alive in him. The Same way you can have life in him, <clears throat> so your horse son or his daughter repent to be alive. You know, you've never heard this before. Say you're a kid, you've never heard these teachings before. Well, you are now, and because you know, you have to make a choice. In verse 10, he who is the high priest among his brethren, this is the first time you see high priest the word high priest in the book of Leviticus. There are duties tasked to the high priest, which we read about and studied. But this is the first time you see high priest mentioned in the book of Leviticus. I think that's so powerful. Because you have this major, major hardcore book of the law, Leviticus.
1: Very, very little
0: mention of a high priest. very One mention of the word high priest. You know why? Because it leaves wanting. It leaves room for desire. You know what? The real high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ. That's what I love so much about these loopholes in the law. Room for wanting. In verse 10, He who is the high priest among his brethren, on, whom, on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes. Whoa, this is hardcore. Does this hearken any, any remembrance to your mind? Turn with me really quick to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verse 62. And the high priest arose and said to him, This is Jesus Christ before his accusers. He was arrested. And the high priest arose and the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest, this is Caiaphas from verse fifty seven. Caiaphas the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Whoa, he's invoking the living God. I put you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you have as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will I, will I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Whoa. The high priest broke the law guilty of the law and if you break one you break them all that's what we're gonna learn we're gonna study that hardcore in Romans the high priest broke the law that's what we read in Leviticus 21 verse 10 the high priest is never to tear his clothes and notice he's breaking this Caiaphas the high priest he's broken the law Not just once, he's done it already, but here he's breaking the law again. And he's doing it in front of the real high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he was also doing it while invoking the living God. His words, his behavior condemns him. Whoa. Let's go to Leviticus 21 now the law says, shall not uncover his head, nor tear his clothes, he also, un- he also had his head uncovered. What do you mean? Well, you know what your covering is as Christians, supernaturally? Jesus Christ. He is your covering. Because of his rejection of Jesus Christ, he had no covering. God the Father unto Jesus the Son. Unto you as a Christian. Covering. If you're a wife, you know, Uh, Jesus Christ to husband to wife if you're a kid and to kids that's the covering It's like a holy umbrella. I hate to say it like an umbrella, but I'm just painting a picture but that's the covering If you're a wife and your husband's a crackhead, you know, you have to hold on to your husband You don't submit to your husband. You submit to Jesus Christ You become a covering for your husband You're also a covering for your kids because you save the husband and the kids That's 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 how it works. That's the holy recipe. Now, I'm not a psychoanalyst. I, I, I'm not going to sit down and analyze and say, well, you know, it's supernatural. It's 100% supernatural. It's, it can't be understood by carnal minds because it is discerned supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. It's the holy recipe. You do this, you follow this order, and all will be well with you. A lot of times wives get into trouble because they're taught by, you know, these so-called pastors, "Wife, submit to your husband. It's a biblical truth. Submit to your husband. There's also a little disclaimer there. Submit to your husband when your husband is submitting to Jesus Christ. You know, husbands go off and do their strip club stuff, and then they expect their wife to perform a certain way sexually. And the wife in submission, okay, I'm going to use my body and defile my body. The unnatural use of the human body, which it's completely possible. We studied that last week in, you know, we've studied actually quite a bit in in Leviticus, the unnatural use of the human body, sexually. And wives, they submit to their husbands and they do all kinds of disgusting, you know, sexual things because their husbands have, they gone to the crazy town or the husband becomes a crackhead and say, wife, you have to submit to me. Let's do this crack. Wife, you have to submit to me. Go to this corner, buy crack. Bring it home to me. And the wife is like a robot, you know, like a servant to her husband. That's not biblical submission. Wives, submit to your husband when your husband is submitting to Jesus Christ. Your husband goes off to crack. Your husband goes off to, you know, the strip clubs, does all this stuff. No, you submit to Jesus Christ, wife. Wife. You now become a covering. Because your husband has abdicated his responsibility, his God-given responsibility, you are now the covering for your husband. And in so doing, you save your husband and you save your kids. You can save your husband, I should say. But he has to make his choice. But you become the covering for your husband. That's not to say that your, your husband now has to submit to you. No, you're a covering for your husband. The Lord will deal with your husband. And the Lord has His way of messing husbands up. And I tell you from experience, He can really mess up a husband. You know, for His glory. So let's look what happens here. In verse 11, nor shall he go near any dead body. Now, I'm going to pause here and and say a little warning before I continue this verse. I love you. That's my warning. It's not a warning. It's a special, you know, a little additive to what I'm going to say. Because I might hurt your feelings. Here we go. The last part of verse 11. Nor defile himself for his father or mother. Now, I want you to highlight. I don't want to lord over your faith. But I'm going to make a strong recommendation that you highlight this last part in verse 11. Nor defile himself for his father or his mother. In life. You know, you heard me say earlier that, you know, uh, honor your parents, honor your mom, honor your dad. You know, it's it's biblical. Honor your mom, honor your dad. But what happens when mom's word, what happens when dad's word exceeds God's word? That's not good. You defile yourself if that's the case. In life, you have mom's words, dad's word, and then you have God's word. You have to choose. You have to choose. You know, it's, it's not, when, when mom's word and dad's word is greater than God's word, you defy yourself. Notice it's self-inflicted. How in the world can the Holy Spirit work through you? If you are the one who's not letting the Holy Spirit work in you, it's self-inflicted. I don't say that to like hammer a point home, and I, in one in one sense, I do. I want this point to be hammered, but then at the same time, you know, it's like okay, I've done that. I, I've, I've, I've. I, I, mom and dad were my god. You know, mom is my god. Dad is my god. Well, you need to repent, and surrender to Jesus Christ. Take the throne of your heart, empty it, and put Jesus Christ there, and say, Lord, you know, here, I surrender to you. You must. Verse 11, this last part of verse 11 is hardcore. Nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Mom and dad go off into crazy town. Mom and dad want to go graves. What if mom and dad say, oh yeah, we're Christians. Hey son, hey daughter, baby girl, we're Christians. You know, come join us. We'll do this nice fellowship. Oh, and by the way, you know, we're going to do this fun event. You know, we're going to have the whole family. We're Christians. It's okay. We're going to do this. My pastor says it's okay. We're going to go to this event. We're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to go gravesite. There was this, you know, this husband and wife couple. They were so powerful in the Lord. They had a blessed ministry and we're going to go lay on their gravesites. They're dead now. They've been dead for 50 years. And we're going to go lay on their gravesite, gravesites. And the Holy Spirit will, will soak up the power of the Holy Spirit from their dead bodies. Let's go do it. My pastor says it's okay. Sanctioned by the church. Let's go do it. Let me tell you something, son or daughter. Are you going to do that? Are you going to partake in that? Because if you do, verse 11 rings true. Defilement of self for mother, for father and mother. You have mama and daddy, daddy, mommy and daddy that go off in the crazy town, love them, respect them, honor them. Just like I gave that example of, you know, a mayor's office. If I go to a mayor's office, you know, They might be very hardcore liberal, hardcore left-leaning. I'm still going to respect the office. I'm going to respect his or her authority. But I cannot align, because I'm a Christian, I cannot align myself with that ideology. But if I'm summoned to the office, so to speak, I'm still going to respect them. Just like you see Paul before his accusers, before the governor, before the king. You see, Paul, he respects them. He's not being a jerk. He's honoring them and respecting them. So if you're a son, if you're a daughter, and mom and dad are crazy, you know, you take the plank out of your own eye, you know, and say, hey, mom, dad, you're crazy. I'm not going to go grave soaking. That's unbiblical. That is an abomination before the Lord. Oh, but it's, I'm a Christian. We're Christians. I raised you as Christians. You have to honor me, honor your mom, honor your dad. You have to do this. No, I'm going to respect you, and I love you. But that's crazy. That's an abomination. You need to repent. Oh, that's so mean-spirited. What happened to you, son? What happened to you, daughter? That's so mean-spirited. No. Verse 11. Nor defile himself for his father or his mother. Very interesting. You see? Oh, wait. That applies to dead bodies. Nor shall he go near any dead body. it says in verse 11. That applies to dead bodies. Well, let the dead bury the dead. Verse 12. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the consecration or of the anointing oil of his God. It, let me start all over. Nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. You see, you read verse 12, it's like, wow, it sounds like the priest is always in the sanctuary. He's always, does he have a life? It, you read verse 12, it sounds like he's always in the sanctuary. Praise be to the Lord. He's all about God's business. All about God's, God's business. You know what blows me away when you read verse 12? You read verse 12, and then you remember our study in the book of Acts, how all these the, the religious leaders, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, where, where are they? They're not in the sanctuary. They're chasing Paul all over the place. Chasing Paul, running around, going from town to town, chasing Paul. Why aren't they in the sanctuary? So here you have the priest, they're out chasing Paul, doing all this, you know, this conspiracy, this lie, this hoax, this farce, trying to kill him because they want him dead. Meanwhile, what about sin? And this is the law, I'm not advocating the law, but under the law, what about the sin? What about the guy who wants to bring his turtle dove, because their sin is a poor guy? He wants to sacrifice because there's sin in his home. What about the rich guy who, no turtle dove brings an ox, the best ox of his flock? The best ox, and he wants to sacrifice because of sin in his, in his home. Meanwhile, you have the priests, the ones that are tasked with being in the sanctuary and making people clean in accordance with the law. They're out doing their business, and they're not doing God's business. That's why they were blind. They were blind and deaf to the law. Remember, Paul had to write to the church, people who wanted to go back to the law. He said, do you not hear the law? And what does the law? The law speaks of Jesus Christ. Moses wrote about me, Jesus Christ said. It speaks, points to Jesus Christ. I'm not advocating the law and giving that example but you read verse 12 and it begs the question what in the world were these guys up to? Why were they chasing Paul all over the place? What about the turtle doves? What about the ox, the sheep, the the, 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 the animals for sacrifice? What about the blood as atonement for sin? Why weren't they in the sanctuary? Why weren't they studying? Why weren't they praying? Why weren't they interceding? Remember, they didn't have to work. They took money from the people because the point of that whole thing wasn't so they could be freeloaders. It's so that they didn't have to go out and work to go out and do a job because their job was to work in the sanctuary, to be in the sanctuary. Why were they chasing Paul everywhere? You see? And I'm not advocating the law in saying that. But they were blind and deaf. That's what I'm showing you. They were blind and deaf. And, not just blind and deaf, breaking the law. The high priest, guilty. He broke the law. Caiaphas, the high priest. You know, the, the, when the, what we read in, in Matthew 26, he wasn't alone. It wasn't just Caiaphas and, and Jesus. Caiaphas was there with his counsel. Caiaphas was there with the Pharisees, with Sadducees, with scribes. Elders of Israel. It was like a council of people, so-called knowledgeable people, the elite, the, the 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 establishment, the religious establishment. And Caiaphas, the high priest, was breaking the law. Was there not a Pharisee there? Was there not a Sadducee to say, um, Caiaphas, it is written, it is written, you shall not uncover your head or tear your clothes. And you just tore your clothes, Caiaphas. Was there not anybody there? No, Caiaphas had a bunch of yes men. The same way pastors today have a bunch of yes men elders. Instead of an elder saying, uh, Pastor, we shouldn't go grave soaking. It's not biblical. You have a bunch of yes men that say, Okay, let's go grave soaking. Let's tell this family to go grave soaking. Let's take their kids grave soaking. And then they call their kids, Hey, yeah, we're going to have this nice Christian event, a nice church event. We're all going to go grave soaking. Don't defy yourself for your father and mother. It's hardcore, I know, but there's no other way to live. I've tried it both ways, and I tell you the truth, there's no other way to live. Let's look at verse, in closing, um, verse 13, and he shall take a wife in her virginity. Look at verse 7, it's kind of like a reiteration of verse 7, repetition, repetition. You see a lot of repetition in the Bible in the Old Testament. Verse 7, don't take a wife who is a harlot or a defiled woman, nor shall I take any woman divorced from her husband. The priest is holy, for, for the priest is holy to his God. And in verse 13, he shall take a wife in her virginity. Old Testament and New Testament, sex is okay. among the In the priests among the, the pastors, elders, sex is okay. I mean, within the confines of marriage. You know, the Pope Somebody needs to give him a Bible so he can read it, because in accordance with Roman Catholicism, you can you know what priests, abstinence. It's a life of celibacy. It's not biblical. Old Testament, New Testament, it's totally unbiblical. So the priests, because they want to, instead of aligning with the Word of God, they want to align with the Word of Rome. you know what happens? They start having sex with kids. Look at, look at all the uh, Catholic churches who have went bankrupt. Look at all the Catholic churches who went bankrupt because they had to pay the legal fees for child molestation. Adults who were 20, 30, 35. Adults, you think like, you know, big buff guys, strong guys. But they're just destroyed. Because they gave accounts of, yeah, when I went to Catholic school, this happened to me. This guy touched me. And then he touched me more more, more in more this day, this week. And then you know he was being groomed, and ultimately it led to this. It's disgusting. They had you know like certain you see the processions of the priests you know you have the uh, uh, the boys and they they, they have the priests come and they walk down the aisle you know and everybody's sing, chanting, singing their songs. The priests walk down the aisle, and they used to have these markers for the for the boys, and they would had like certain items on their clothes or like a certain color on a cross. And they would be markers for the priest to know, okay, you know, this this little boy, You know, you know, go to him, you know, sexually. They used to have markers. I say these things, how disgusting it is. Super, like, this is, like, I have to be very careful. Because I don't think good things upon these so-called priests. So-called leadership. So-called shepherds. I do not think good things. And I'll be straight up with you. It includes murder. Okay, I don't think good things. And so I have to protect my heart. But the Pope, somebody needs to give him a Bible. I mean, If you're hearing my words and, you know, you have proximity to the Pope, go to the store, buy a Bible, or, you know, tell the Pope to bust out his phone and download the Bible app so he can read it. You cannot, you know... you. Sex is okay. It's okay for a priest to be married. You know, tell him to read it more, not just for sex, but tell him to read it even more so he can deny the teachings of Rome. I'm being a little facetious here. But I'm just painting a picture here of the danger of Rome. The teachings of Rome. The danger of these religious systems, the religious establishment. It looks holy. It has the appearance of, you know, consecration. But you read the Bible, and consecration is much deeper. It's not the outward appearance. Consecration is it's in your heart. It's in your mind. What are you going to think about? What are you going to dwell on? You dwell on Zion? Do you dwell on paradise? Do you dwell on Jesus Christ? Do you pray for those who need Jesus Christ? Those who are afflicted, pray for the persecuted church? Or are you thinking about your next hit of crack? Your next crack pipe? Your next uh, strip club? You see? Very hardcore message. Not for the church entirety, but you know, a very heavy emphasis on Bible teachers, elders, pastors. And so look what happens here. In verse... Uh, 14, a widow or a divorced woman or a defiled woman or a harlot, these he shall not marry, but he shall take a virgin of his own people as a wife. Nor shall he profane his posterity among his people, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. You know what this is? Seed. Nor shall he profane his posterity, his seed among his people. Don't profane your seed. If you're a man, don't profane your seed. And you know, we talked about semen a couple weeks ago. What the law says about semen You know, I've talked with young boys, not young boys, but young men. I call them boys because they think they're men, but they're boys. You know, 20, 20 years old, 22, 23, 24. They think they're men, but they're really boys. Oh, yeah, you know what? Look, you know, it's okay. She's taking the pill. It's okay. She's on birth control. You know, how that's even worse. That means the vet, you know, you're sexually active. And that means, you know, you do your thing, you know, and like, you know, The seed, you know, that whole process. I don't want to get graphic, but, you know, that whole process. That means that that girl that you think is, you know, you love, you tell her you love. She is like a murder, like a tool of murder to your seed. Your seed is profane to my friend. You need to repent. And I've had guys tell me, oh, but look at her. They turn out their phone. They show me the thing. Oh, but look at her. What, you think I'm going to be an idiot? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, she looks this way, so okay, it's okay. That's idolatry. You want to place her over God? That's idolatry. You need to repent again. So repent for your sexual activity and then repent for your idolatry. Because you think it's okay to place her instead of God. Make excuses. Oh, yeah, you know, but look at her. She's so cute. She looks like this. Oh, yeah, it's okay. I'm going to deny God for her. That's idolatry. You've created another God. Who is the Lord in your life? Men, don't profane your seed. Be holy. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, a Bible teacher, and you have zero regard for your seed, you need to take a break. Take a break from ministry. And you need to repent, get your heart right with the Lord. And really ask yourself, you know, pray and seek the Lord. But you have to ask yourself a question. Is this really a calling or, you know, is this something that I just want to do for the sake of community? Lord, did you really call me or is this just something I wanted to do? You know, you have to get serious with the Lord, especially for these times, you know, the Perilous times are here. They're not coming. They're here. Perilous times are here. And you know what? It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And if you're a Bible teacher, an elder, a pastor, a deacon, a ministry leader, and you're wishy-washy now, you're not equipped. You're not equipped to lead. You're a liability in the church. And I say that as, you know, I think of like the military. You know, say you're a non-commissioned officer, you're an NCO, you're a corporal, you're a sergeant, and you're about to deploy, go to a hot zone. And, you know, the commanding officer, before you deploy, the commanding officer has a talk with you. You know, who are those in your squad? You know, so do you have any issues with anybody in your squad? Say, so, yeah, you know, this this kid, he's, he's just, he's, he's, he's not fit. He, he he can't go. He's a liability. This is why he doesn't, he's not, he needs, you know, he needs more discipline. You can't beat it out of him. Ah, you meant, you know, militarily speaking, you can, but <laughs> for the sake of deployment, you know, like it, it's a hot time right now and we're going tonight. And this guy can't go. Commanding officer says because he trusts you, you trust him. You have a good working relationship, a good relationship based on trust in performing the duties, which are tasks and ensuring mission accomplishment. You have this strong relationship with your commanding officer. The officer says, okay. This sergeant, this corporal says that this guy's a liability, so he's a liability. Let's get him out. Kick him out. He's a liability to the team. People are more inclined to die with this guy in the unit. So he's out of the unit. Let's kick him out. Because he's a liability, he can't go on the front lines. He can't go out and fight. Because if we go out and fight and he's there, there's a hole a whole a gap in the in this you know this force and because there's that gap there because he's a liability people might die the same thing applies in ministry if you're wishy washy now if you're pastor elder bible teacher and you're wishy washy now if you want to do your grave soaking you're ill equipped you're ill equipped you're not ready for the last days So you need to repent and seek the face of the Lord. And you might have to step down from ministry. I've had these conversations before with pastors. You know, you know, maybe you shouldn't be a pastor anymore because of, you know, whatever sin. A lot of it is with sex. A lot of it is with drugs. And sometimes it's both sex and drugs. Sometimes it's a, a, a trifecta, sex, drugs, and alcohol. That's why you hear me say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't say it for, you know, the heck of it. I say it because these are things that I've had talks with pastors or even with elders. Hey, I want you to take a break from being an elder. It's not because I hate you. I want to protect you in the life to come, but you need to take a break. Because biblically, I have to look at your home. Biblically, I have to analyze your home. It's not because of you. I mean, in some regard, it is. But I have to look at your home, but it's for the sake of the sheep. For the sake of the Lord and for sheep to be cleansed. It's entirely supernatural. And so you hear me say, you know, you, you, are, you hear me say, if you're pastor, Bible teacher, elder, you're very special. But when you're holy, you're going to be hated. That's that's just, it's, it's part of the gig. You're going to be hated. But look at all the prophets of old. Look at all the disciples. Look at all the apostles killed. You know, praise be to the Lord. You're in good company. So look what happens here. In verse... 16 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, No man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect, or a blemish is how it translates, who has any defect, may approach to offer the bread, may approach to offer the bread of his God. So those with blemishes. And he starts to indicate for any man who has a defect shall not approach a man blind or lame who has a marred face or a limb too long. A man who has a broken foot or broken hand or is a hunchback or a dwarf or a man who has a defect in his eye or eczema or scab or is a eunuch. No man of the descendants of Aaron the priest who has a defect shall come near to offer the offerings made by fire to the Lord. He has a defect. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. So you know what this is? No blemishes. No blemishes. You know, all these passages we learned about no blemishes in the offering of the Lord. No blemishes in the turtle dove. No blemishes in the lamb, in the sheep, in the ox. All these offerings that are made unto the Lord. Zero blemishes. That's what the Lord wants. No blemishes. And because He wants no blemishes in these uh, uh, descendants of Aaron in succeeding generations, no blemishes in them. You see an early, early picture of yourself as being a sacrifice unto the Lord. Yourself, We studied that when we looked at the burnt offering. A sweet aroma unto the Lord. Remember Paul wrote, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Your life, your body, your behavior, every fiber, every essence of your being as an offering unto the Lord. An aroma to the Lord. Remember in our earlier chapters, I said start thinking of your life as an aroma unto the Lord. And what aroma do you want to present to the Lord? Do you want to be a sweet aroma or do you want to be a stench? You have a choice to make. An offering unto the Lord. You know, present your body, like Paul wrote to the church in Rome in Romans 12. Present your body, a living. present yourselves a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. So many times people say, oh, I want to serve the Lord. What do I do? Do I go feed the homeless? Do I go do this? Do I provide shelter? Do I do this? Work here? Work here? Do this? I'm saved by works. Faith without works is dead. Do I do this? Do this? Do this? And a lot of pastors, a lot of elders, a lot of ministry leaders, they take advantage of this. Oh, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you know, faith without works is dead. So you'll do this. You'll do that. You'll do this. But when Brother James writes about faith and works together being inseparable, he gives the account of Abraham. And when you read the passage in Genesis, when the Lord speaks to Abraham, you know what you see Abraham doing? You see obedience. And it was accounted in him for righteousness sake. Obedience. The Lord spoke. Abraham did. The Lord spoke. Abraham did. Okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, Abraham. Yes, Lord, I'm here. Do this. Okay, Lord. He does it. That's why you hear me say faith and works and you hear me equate it to Belief and obedience. Obey. And it's your offering unto the Lord. You say, wow, I'm a hunchback. I can't be in ministry. Wow, I'm blind. I can't be in ministry. I'm a dwarf. I can't be in, I have eczema. I can't be in ministry. I have a scab. I can't be in ministry. That's the law. That's the law. Don't forget the Messiah, the fulfillment of the law. He makes the blind see. He makes the lame walk. Remember, if you're a ministry leader, you're different. You're the means by which people are made right with the Lord. Christians are made right with the Lord. You think Christians, you know, can't get in a heap of mess? Far be it from the truth. Christians surely get into messes. I mean, we're going to end Acts pretty soon. And we get to the end of Acts. The epistles. What happened? You know? Paul had to, you know, Paul had to write these letters to the church. You see, early in, in in the book of Acts, you see the the birth of Corinth, the birth of Ephesus, the birth of of Philippi. All these churches, individual Christians. It's like, wow, it's so beautiful, and it comes at a cost. Paul's sacrifice of himself unto the Lord, and obedience unto the Lord. Without hypocrisy, and you see the power of the Holy Spirit in him. Working in Him and through Him. And then at the same time, you turn the page from the book of Acts and then you get into Romans. It's like, wow, what happened? What happened? Carnality. You have to reckon the old man dead, reckon the, the old woman dead. Be alive in Christ. Carry your cross. Be alive in Christ. You know? Jesus heals all blemishes. The blemishes are gone. You're not blind anymore. You're not lame anymore. You're not, you know, uh, 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 a broken hand, broken foot. The Lord heals it all. Be holy. So, in closing, let's look here in verse 22 He may eat the bread. So, whoever this, uh, 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 the de- defected ones, he may eat the bread of his God, both the most holy and the holy. Remember, that's why the Pharisees, they thought, Jesus Christ, they thought, is he telling us to be uh, 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 cannibals? Unless a man eat my flesh? What is he talking about? But no, Jesus Christ was speaking spiritually. Eat the Word, the bread of life. Consume it all. The leaders, the Pharisees, the sects they should have known. They should have known because they supposedly read the Torah. Supposedly, they read the writings of Moses. Supposedly. But they were blind. Is it possible to read the Bible and be blind? Yes, it is. Remember, Jesus Christ says, You read the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. It's like, wait a second. There is eternal life in the scriptures. Yes, there is. But do you have ears to hear, eyes to see? Whoa. It's not just to read the Bible for knowledge. It's to read the Bible for to consume, to eat. Eat the bread. Consume it all. Everything. The entrails, you know, consume the lamb, capital L. The flesh, the entrails, everything, consume it all, leave nothing. The good, the bad, the ugly. There's ugly passages in Scripture. I mean, look, I've had had to talk about sexual things. You know, like, deep sexual things. I don't like to, I mean, like, I like to for the sake of studying the Word, but I don't like to because it's like, you know, it's... But we have to understand these things. Why? Because look at all the sexual activity in the church. In the world, that's the world. But look at it, in the church... Everybody's having sex with everybody. What in the world? What's happening? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Where, where are the those walls, those brick walls to say, no, you shall not pass. I meant to sin. You know, you just shall not come into the church. That's what uh, uh, Paul writes, uh, says to the elders. You have to be on the outside of the camp and protect the camp, protect the sheep, protect the lambs. Those wolves aren't getting in. No, you kill wolves. Metaphysically, I'm not saying, you know, literally. But metaphysically, supernaturally, you kill wolves. If you're an elder, if you're a Bible teacher, elder, deacon, ministry leader, pastor, you're on the outside of the camp. And you know what you do? You teach, I mean, you, you feed uh, the, the sheep, the lambs. You take care of them. But the Word prayer interceding but because you're on the outside of the camp when the wolf comes you got to kill him you say, oh i'm just going to love this wolf i'm just going to love this wolf and you know let him into the camp and you know let god take care of him no he, god he's using you to take care of the wolf you kill him you kill the wolf whatever wants to cause harm to the lambs you kill him whatever wants to cause harm to the harm to the sheep you kill him metaphysically speaking supernaturally these things cannot pass. You have to be a wall of protection on the sheep. Hypocrisy, it's a liability. It's, it, hypocrisy, you know, it's, it's like that military example. You go to the commanding officer. You know, sir, this guy, he's got to go. How come? Well, because of this, sir. Sir, he's uh, there's this example. There's this example. You know, I try to beat it out of him. You know, we try to beat it out of him. You know, this is, you know, military. But, you know, he's still a flake. So he's a liability. And because he's a liability, he can't deploy. And people die. People die. When you deploy with liabilities, people die. It costs lives. It's one thing to die in combat. But when you die in combat, you know, you're in combat. But if you're a liability, more people are going to die. Because you're stupid. You can't be that way. Are there stupid pastors, stupid elders? You don't need me to tell you. Look at look at what you see: a pastor taking his church to go grave silking, a pastor, a, a a female pastor, teaching men, transgender pastor. Ah, oh, that's so judgmental. No, three you know three judgments: crino and crino crino. One is forbidden. You say, oh, you you hate homosexuals. You hate the transgender community. No, I don't. I say, come out of her, my people. Thus saith the Lord, come out of her, my people. If you have ears to hear, deny that lifestyle. And come to Christ because God loves you. And He's coming again. And so look what happens here. In verse... 23 Only he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries. For I, the Lord, sanctify him. You know, we're so spoiled today. You know, we're, I'm not, you know, complaining. We're under grace and praise be to the Lord. But today the veil is torn. The veil is torn. Remember, Jesus Christ, he died on the cross, but before he took his last breath, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And before that, He says, uh, to Tetelestai, it is finished. He says, of Jew and Gentile, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. That is some major, major love. And I love it so much. And when he takes his last breath, you know what happens? The veil is torn from top to bottom. The veil is torn. So you read in the law, he shall not go near the veil or approach the altar because he has a defect, lest he profane my sanctuaries. For I, the Lord, sanctify him. And you know what the Son of God has done? Because of his death on the cross as atonement, sacrifice, the veil is torn now and he's the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You have access to the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see? How do you get to the Father? The Holy of Holies. And Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whoa. The high priest himself. It's like the veil is torn. Takes your hand. And you walk with him. You go into the, you know, I'm speaking metaphysically and supernaturally. You enter the temple. Enter the tabernacle. Because he's tabernacling with you. You enter, the, he takes your hand, you believe in him, you take his hand, he takes yours. You abide in him, he and you. He takes your hand, goes into the tabernacle, and then the holy place, and then the holy of holies, access to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's deep, that's deep, that's hardcore. Praise be to the Lord because he teaches us all these things. In verse tw- 24. And Moses told it to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel. All the children of Israel. So it's so powerful because, you know, like in verse verse 1, speak to the priests. And in verse 17, speak to Aaron. And then in verse 23, he says it to uh, 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 Aaron, his sons, and to all the children of Israel. So all the children of Israel, they know. Wow, these are priests. We have to consecrate them. They have to be, they, they consecrate themselves, and and, and and we consecrate them, and the Lord consecrates them. So what do you mean by saying that? Well, verse 15, God consecrates. In verse 15, uh, for I, the Lord, sanctify him. This is the priest. And then in verse 6, the priest consecrates. In uh, verse 6, it says, uh, uh, therefore, they shall be holy. So the priest has to make this decisions in order to be consecrated unto the Lord. But then the people also consecrate. Look at verse 8. Uh, uh, Therefore, you shall consecrate him, speaking about the priests. All these things. And it reminds me of the church body today. Church body. So you're in a church body where there's sound doctrine. You're in a church body where there's the love of the Lord, the greatest gift. And say, for example, somebody starts, you know, uh, somebody's a crackhead, comes to, crack, uh, comes to Jesus, and all of a sudden is tempted to crack again. Because Satan is whispering in his ear, oh, don't you remember those days when I had you in Egypt? And then another brother, another sister can come along and say, look, no, you're consecrated, my friend. You're consecrated, my sister. You're consecrated, my brother. Don't do the crack. It's alive from the pit of hell. Come on, take my hand. Let's stay here. Let's sing song. Let's sing hymns to the Lord. Let's pray together. You see? It's the church body. A consecrated church body helping us stay consecrated and we're also consecrated by the lord an old testament example here in chapter 21 of new covenant realities if you are you hear me speak of defiling self if that's you and you're defiled repent come to christ okay a lot of hardcore things that i said about a lot of people about ministry leaders even about whorish sons and whorish daughters, I love you. I don't say it to hurt your little feelers. I say it because I love you. You need to repent and get your heart right with Christ because perilous times are here. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And in that the church is going to be refined. The church is going to be refined. And you have to, you know, a lot of chastisement is going to happen. It's very interesting as we see the events of the last days unfold. And you look at gold. You look at, you know, uh, gold that is refined by fire. What happens with gold? You see the process of its refinement. It's it's hardcore. That's the last days church. The bride being refined and then presented to Jesus Christ for her marriage unto her Lord, unto the bridegroom. That's you. That's me. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here and pick up in chapter 22, Lord willing, next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.